using money as a way that, that goes beyond kind of spending, but talk about it in forms of values as it relates to you know, what's important to you and your spouse so you don't have to live with regret. I look back on the time that Sarah and I shared and it's filled with many beautiful and wonderful, happy memories. It is not a time that I look back on with regret in any way, shape, or form in the way that we use money. And now that Anna and I have this future together, this next chapter, applying those same lessons now to live intentionally, to live with value, and, and for the two of us especially, based on our beliefs, to live with eternity in mind. Welcome to Beyond the Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and here to give you a space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, I chat with Daniel Knopp, a fee-only financial planner and founder of Wise Stewardship Financial Planning, where he works to help young widow spouses as well as service members get their financial lives in order by aligning their values with their money. We chat about how he went through the grieving process when his wife suddenly became ill when he was in active duty as an air battle manager. We also chat about the finances involved and why he's thankful that his finances were in order and the grief counseling he also received. We also go into the nitty-gritty of estate planning, why it's essential and should be considered an act of love towards your family. Now, I want to continue the conversation with you, so please make sure to listen to the end for some questions to consider, as well as some resources to help you live beyond the dollar. By the way, this episode is sponsored by my course, Freelance Writing Kickstart. As you may know, I've run my own freelance writing business for quite a while, and I've shared what I learned along the way and helped others leave their jobs or earn a healthy side hustle income. Since so many of you have asked, I've created a step-by-step process to help you cut the overwhelm when it comes to starting and sustaining a successful freelance writing business. Right now, I'm offering listeners 10% off the course using coupon code BTDLISTENER, all in caps. To check it out, go to www.beyondthedollar.co backslash FWS. Don't forget to use a coupon code BTDLISTENER, in all caps, to grab your discount. To find resources shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Now, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Daniel, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I've been looking forward to this since we talked about it at FinCon last year. Yeah. So for those who don't know, FinCon is a conference for money nerds, essentially, (laughs) people in the financial media space, financial counseling, or financial planning space. And this was back in, my goodness, so a couple months ago. But you are busy. So we'll definitely dive into all of what happened, what has happening, and what will happen, (laughs) essentially. So I brought you on because this is a very important topic estate planning and such is not exactly the sexiest topic in personal finance, but hopefully by the end of this conversation, it will encourage people to at least look into their situation and and get the paperwork started. So, Yeah, and have conversations too is is just as important mm -hmm. along that line. Exactly. So yeah, let's go back to a few years ago because you unfortunately were essentially forced to have this conversation. So tell us a little bit about what happened to you and well, no, you're now late wife. 
Yeah, so my story is a little bit heavier one than some of the guests you probably have had on this podcast, but relevant nonetheless. You know, you guys have talked a lot about on the show about how there's taboo topics related to money. And if there's one that's more taboo than money, it might be death. And so when you bring the two of them together, it can be a challenge. But for me and my late wife, Sarah, this was something that we kind of, like you said, were brought up early. So just my short background is I got married in 2012. My wife, Sarah, at the time was a cancer survivor, and she had some health challenges and things like that, living cancer-free and everything. So we started off marriage, and I was active duty officer in the Air Force. And about two years into the marriage, up to that point, she'd been doing just fine. But then her health started to have some pretty serious and major issues. We'd also experienced some challenges associated with loss and grief of three miscarriages kind of along the way that impacted her health as well, on top of just the challenges of grief. And so as a result, we kind of started to have to have some more serious conversations about her health and with the what ifs of the future that might happen. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what were the types of conversations that you, you had with your wife? So I call them the what if conversations. And the really basic fact of it comes down to is hard questions like what happens if you're unable to speak for yourself, say after a surgery, as she had several of those or things like that, like what would your wishes be? If you're on life support, um, what should be the conversation I should be asking the doctors? You know, kind of the things along with that. And we were pretty transparent about that. She had worked, Sarah had worked in the medical field. And so these things were something that she was familiar with, both from a professional standpoint, as well as the personal one. And so we talked about those things. And then along with those conversations, so I knew intimately what her wishes and desires were for everything. And I shared mine with her as well, should the roles have been reversed. Um, As a military member, I was Every time I went out on deployment, we were all strongly encouraged to always stop by the legal office on base, get our wills updated. So I was very familiar with that process as well for myself. So we also had her will drawn up. We had gone through the estate planning based on her health, wasn't able to get a huge amount of life insurance, but some was in place because at the time we were trying to become parents. And even though she wasn't working full time, we still needed to cover the loss of what she would have been at that point as a primary caregiver for the children. So we'd taken care of a lot of those logistics along the way, which turned out to be far more beneficial than we could have ever known at the time. Yeah. So walk us through the emotional side of it. I mean, you know, it sounds like that was great that you two had a great handle on, you know, the what if conversations and managing some of the more practical aspects of that and finances. But of course, emotionally, you know, she, like you said, went through all these miscarriages, her health suddenly went a little bit turned for the worse, you know, and sometimes you were on deployment, I'm assuming at the time. So tell us a little bit what went on. Yeah. So like I said, so we got married in 2012. In late 2015, we moved from our assignment down in Georgia out west to the state of Idaho. And it was right about that same time later on in early 2016, where her health became a much more severe issues and I mean, we saw dozens of doctors. We flew to LA. I mean, we did everything to try to figure out what was going on at this point in time, mostly not answers that we could find. So as a result of all those challenges, though, I became her full-time caregiver. So she was bedridden most of the day, like just zero energy to be able to get up in and get everything. So that part was emotionally exhausting. I'm working full-time and now I'm having to take care of 100% of all the responsibilities around the house, all shopping, errands, cooking, cleaning, et cetera and take care of her 
take her to appointments, manage her medicines or care and things like that. So that was emotionally very, very difficult. And later on, when we talk about like what things that people can do to help, I learned a lot about that of, you know, coming alongside people who are going through tough times and things to say and how to be a big part of that. Because we had a great support network that really, really was the key to enabling us to kind of get through that time challenging together. So who specifically was your support network? Was it family or other people? So no, family was really, really far away, but I had my Air Force family there. So the people in my squadron rallied around providing meals and other support, as well as my uh, church family, our church family community that was there. So between that, it really helped make up for that difference from the proximity of blood family. Yeah, I can only imagine that it must be tough if you know you don't have a support system. So you know, I can only imagine that you were very grateful that you had support of the church and, and the Air Force to to see you through that time. Yeah, it was a challenging time for both of our faith as well, but in hindsight, very, very strengthening for that. And and God was good. He was gracious and helped us through it. So fast forwarding a little bit, though, in early 2017, there was a medical event that put Sarah in the hospital. A couple of days later, she had emergency surgery to try to fix it. The surgery didn't work. Complications ensued. To make the long story short, she ended up getting emergency transported down to Salt Lake City because there wasn't a hospital there in, in the Boise area that could provide what she needed. As a result of that, some additional procedures, things went wrong. We ended up living in hospitals between the two states for the next five or six months before in July, kind of sitting in the ICU. And the doctor comes in, basically says, you know, there's we can try this radical surgery. There's a best case scenario, you know, 50% chance she'll die on the table. And Sarah's like, no, let's go home. And we'd had those conversations before. So it wasn't a challenging one at that point in time. So we were able to come back to Idaho and go to home hospice and spend that last six weeks together where family was able to come out and spend that time together. And of all the challenges that we faced during that time, you know, finances were not one of them. I'm very, very thankful for Again, the support that I had from my leadership, my job, being able to have that time to spend with her during that whole year. And we'd already taken care of the logistics. And so our focus really could be just being able to spend time with one another. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, this is definitely a case of living beyond the dollar where you have all your things taken care of. Because I think, I mean, I don't know the exact statistics, but I'll, I'll try to link to something in the show notes where the medical debt is a huge problem in the U.S. Yes. And I mean, do you have any insight into that? I mean, you know, or can you give us some insight in how you planned your finances around this situation? Well, in this particular case, we were very, very blessed and fortunate with what TRICARE provided and covered. So I don't know what the it would have cost on our own, but like I looked at the insurance statements over the course of 2017 and TRICARE paid almost or more than a million dollars in coverage for that time in our out-of-pocket was, you know, a couple thousand dollars of that. Wow. Okay. Right. And but then as you, far as the broader mm-hmm. statistics on medical debt, I know that, that we are an exception to the rule. That is not the case. Most insurance is not quite so generous. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to make assumptions that, you know, this is not in my wheelhouse, but I mean, yeah, I'm curious about, I know, you know, you had mentioned about it really tested your faith in God and your late wife's faith in God and, and that he was good. So, I mean, during this time, 
if it were me, not that I want to imagine this, but if it were me, I would feel like angry, resentful. I mean, you're you're almost like grieving before that person's gone. So talk to us a little bit about how this whole experience while you're going through really strengthened your faith. I like the way you phrase that part about grieving before she was gone. After Sarah passed away, I was able to spend time over a year with a grief counselor. And that was one of the themes that emerged that in the moment, in the daily struggles, like I did not recognize that as a part of that emotional challenge and struggle. But looking back, like I realized, like I was in a lot of ways struggling and grieving her loss. And not that I, we thought that until that last week, like we had never lost hope that she was not going to pull through, but we had grieved the loss of other things, like the loss of hope for children, the loss and hope for her being able to be independent. We had always loved traveling and done quite a bit of it early on in our marriage before her health prevented that. So we had lost that. And now I had to also kind of step back in my career. So I was losing, you know, some promotion potential and things like that. But the thing that really, really emphasized, and again, in hindsight, is the grace that God gave me and the grace that God gave Sarah in the midst of that. You know, the Psalm 23 talks about Though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know you are with me. And it's an indescribable feeling. It's hard to put it into words sometime other than knowing that I lived it and walked through it, to have known and experienced that kind of peace in the midst of such challenges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh gosh, I'm like, I don't know what else to say to that. I'm like, I'm going to cry over this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised I'm holding it together so far. There have been many many tears along the way. Oh my goodness. I remember when we first met, just and as an aside, I think within the first 10 minutes, you started telling me the story and I was like, oh my, yeah, I think we were both crying by that end of 10 minutes. And I'm like, I need to give you a hug. That was, that was beautiful. <laughs> it but, was. I mean, just, I appreciate you sharing this because, you know, hopefully I don't want to impose a situation on anyone, of course, but it's one of those prevention is, oh my gosh, what is the phrase I'm looking for? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Thank you. I knew that phrase because my husband uses it all the time. But, or in the military, know, we sometimes say, you know, a gallon of sweat saves a pint of blood. You know, the preparation oh, ahead of time can literally prevent, you know, those casualties that can happen. Yeah, yeah. And estate planning, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning, it's not sexy. But when something happens, right, or, you know, unexpected death or maybe your spouse or partner can't. I don't want to say fend for themselves, it's not the right word, but but you know, I think you know what I mean is that these documents can come in handy because what can happen if let's say your spouse passed away suddenly? Like what can yeah, what can happen? Well, that's the thing, right? So particularly in the Western cultures, that we don't talk about death. And certainly for young people, we don't talk about death. I mean, that estate planning is thing you know you should do, but I mean, some statistics I've seen said, you know, less than 20% of young people even have a will, much less have, you know, kind of had these kind of conversations with their spouse or significant other and families planning, you know, a lot of young people, particularly in their early income earning years are dramatically underinsured with life insurance. So, I mean, the logistics are easy and the procrastination, the behavioral side of it is what's hard that I've found. Does that kind of answer your question or are you looking for yeah. something more? No, no, I that's I like the procrastination because I'm wondering too, and I 
this is something that came free, which is why I'm curious, is estate planning seems very emotional. Like for me, I have a young son. And so thinking about if I were to pass and who I'm getting emotional, goodness, you know, who is going to be his caregiver? Like if my husband and I were gone, like that's something I certainly don't want to think about. But it's, it's necessary because if, if something were to happen, I don't want to leave him stranded, right? He's going to be four. Like, yeah, he's going to be alone. And so, I mean, yeah, for, it's hard for, to yeah. confront your own mortality, right? Even though logically, you know that all of us have a certain period of time here and then pass on. We die. Mm-hmm. It, we recognize that logically, but it's sometimes harder to put that into action. And that, that's part of the benefit that I now have is to be able to share my story and hopefully motivate listeners of this podcast and other people that I come across to time. You know, the best time to do estate planning was yesterday. The next best time is today. No one is guaranteed the future. And, you know, I've seen this shared by other people before, but, you know, estate planning and the things that go along with it, life insurance, communicating your wishes, it is a final gift and a final act of love. It doesn't have to be more It doesn't have to be like ghoulish or hard in that way, because I can tell you from my own personal experience, having had and taken care of those hard things, those logistics, if you will, made an excruciatingly hard process just a little bit easier. I wasn't having to sit there and wonder what kind of service would Sarah have liked. I didn't have to sit there and wonder, okay, well, would she have wanted in this case? Or, oh, we didn't actually do that. I don't know what her wishes are or the income to be able to provide for with the life insurance, not just paying for the service, but doing things that people don't necessarily think about, like flying in all the family. You know, it's hard for them suddenly to come up with last minute plane tickets to go anywhere around the world. You know, all of these things were an act of love that at the time didn't feel like it when we were going through it. But in retrospect, in hindsight, that's what they were to me. I love thinking of that. I think that's very well put. So anyone out there who's putting it off, just think of it as an act of love. Because again, I can only imagine, you know, your mental bandwidth is like super maxed out. And the last thing you want to think about is what kind of coffin would she want it or what kind of music she, you know, would she want it to play or kind of little, I don't want to say minor details, but, you know, things what would seem like minor details at that time. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? So they call it widow brain, although it applies to widowers too. And grief mm-hmm. is exhausting. It's confusing. It's crushingly hard. You know, adding additional considerations on top of that just make it even more difficult. So the more that can be done ahead of time really helps make that process that much easier. Yeah. And it must have been nice to be able to have, you know, loved ones with her before she did pass. Yes. You know, so. Yes. Okay. So, you know, now that we've talked a little bit about what happened before. So you had mentioned going through to a grief counselor. Is that something that's provided by the health insurance or did you seek that out on your own? I probably would have sought it out on my own. And I know that you have talked recently about like mental health and things that go along with that. So I'll kind of take this down two tracks. One, so the hospice company that took care of Sarah at the end of her life there automatically provided grief counseling in the weeks leading up to her death and then provided for me, paid for by my insurance TRICARE for 13 months after Sarah was gone. And it's one of those things that I don't know how much I needed it. I didn't know how much I needed it until I was using it. And just the ability to have a impartial third party 
who had been there, done that, walked this journey with other people and could tell me, yes, that's normal. You know, this is what you're feeling. Here's a good resource. Why don't you read this? And there's many, many styles of grieving that people have. And she was able to help me walk through what my style was and then be able to meet me where I was at, learned a tremendous amount from that. And then on the, along the mental health at track too, the military has done a much, much better job than in decades past. And mental health you know, is a key part of it. And so I was also able to have access to those services while I was on active duty, almost as more just a, a double check, like, are you doing okay? And the tremendous support, again, that I had from my Air Force family really helped me be comfortable expressing my emotions and then also having purpose in getting back to work for the time period that I did have with them still. Good. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, mental health is definitely important, even if you're not going through something as heavy as this. I mean, it is always nice to have an impartial person where you don't feel like someone's going to judge you or they're going to provide you, like you said, with resources. And so I think that's great. And that the military has stepped up their game, essentially, in providing some of that. So, you know, are you still in the Air Force right now? No. So as a part of, as Sarah and I in 2017, we're looking at, this is before even the major hospitalization stuff. It was like, I realized that an active duty lifestyle was not going to be compatible with being her caregiver. I couldn't go on deployments, go on TDY when those requirements were coming up. So I realized, what do I need to do in order to have the career flexibility that I can take care of my wife? You know, I had committed those marriage vows, and there was absolutely no way that I was ever going to give up on those. One of the sad facts is that in many of the support groups that Sarah was in, lots and lots of stories of the stresses that come upon couples. And as a result, they split up and, and divorce, both from the health challenges as well as the financial challenges. So I was looking at opportunities. Now, I had been a financial counselor for many of my years on active duty, just as something I was passionate about. I love doing it just as a volunteer activity. And I got to explore more in the space over the past couple of years before that and realized that there was this career out there called financial planning. And I realized that is something I want to do. So I went started going to FinCon back in 2016, and I got exposure to this whole world of entrepreneurship and then got connected with the XY Planning Network for financial planners specifically. And I realized, aha, this is what I want to do. So I had put in for a separation date in early 2018 and ended up following through with that even after Sarah passed away because by that point in time, I'd caught the entrepreneurship bug. But <laughs> as a result of that original plan, again, before Sarah's health took a serious turn in 2017, we had taken the plan to take off and, you know, kind of with this unique career opportunity, take a long sabbatical travel around the country in 2018. So we'd saved up to make this happen, kind of that values-based spending. You guys talk a lot about on this podcast. And so in 2018, I separated from the Air Force and went ahead with this plan. Sarah and I had spent some time talking about that. And she encouraged me to go ahead with sabbatical and the career transition. And it turned out to be more healing than and restorative than I knew that I needed. I was able to purchase an RV and, and travel around the country across 37 states, see lots of friends and family before figuring out what's next. And we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, it was an amazing journey. Wow. And sorry, how long was the trip again? Uh, so I separated in February and I got to my next place here now 
in the Boston area in October. Hmm. I love it. So yeah, okay. I'm like, oh, this is such heavy stuff, but I love it. I, again, appreciate that you're so open in, in talking about this. So let's fast forward a little bit because this story does come with a bit of a happy ending. So tell us a little bit about what happened after your trip and going through the grieving process and, and all of that. Yeah, so unexpected happy ending, although my story isn't over by any means, but just next chapter is perhaps a better way to describe it. So uh, while I was on my travels last year, my cousins introduced me to Anna, and we hit it off right away when I was here in New England, was able to visit her. And pretty early on, we realized that this was something special. And so we ended up getting engaged last summer and then married in November. And it's just been an amazing concept. I had wondered you know, in the months after Sarah was gone, you know, how is it possible that I could ever love someone in that same way that Sarah and I had shared? And I had gotten connected with another younger widower. And he shared with me one of the truths that really, really kind of broke through in full reality after I met Anna. I was like, he told me, you'll never love your next wife any more or any less than what you love Sarah. And now married again, very, very happily. It is just an amazing principle that the heart's capacity for love is unlimited. And to have loved my late wife is now allowing me to have that same love, no more, no less than for my now wife, Anna. And just the joy that God has given in both of those, being blessed by such two wonderful women is amazing. Oh my gosh, you're making me cry. Stop it. <laughs> I love that. That is no, that's, that's not a bad thing. No, 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 no. I know. It, oh gosh. I'm like, I'm, I knew I was going to cry. It's okay. Right. And I'm pretty it sure if you're listening okay. out there, I was like, if you're listening out there, you're not crying. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm not going to get all judgy. <laughs> no, beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. And we talk about money on this podcast. I want to bring it back to the conversation about the importance of estate planning. So now that you have a spouse, have you had that conversation with her about estate planning and, and all of that? Yes, we, we have. I couldn't do that as a financial planner and not let that happen, both having gone through it personally and now again. So yeah, we have indeed had that conversation. And, and now that we're married, we're having the wills all drawn up. We've already established the power of attorneys and changed all the beneficiaries associated with all the respective accounts and things like that. So bringing in the lawyers, the attorneys that understand that kind of stuff, as well as making sure that you get the experts on your team to be able to make sure you get those T's crossed and those I's dotted. So we, yes, we, we are in the process of, of finalizing that now. Oh, that's great. What, was it difficult to start that conversation with her or did she you know, know about your situation with Sarah? Having been a friend of a friend, she had watched from a distance during everything that had gone on during the last year of Sarah's life never realizing that the two of us would get connected and end up getting married. So it was not new to her. And she, once I explained, you know, the purpose behind this and the reason why it was important, she was fully on board. Right. Because she saw, saw what happened. Daniel, this is, you know, if you were to, if someone were to come up to you and say, I am deathly afraid of approaching my spouse or partner about all of this stuff, like what would you say to them? Start small. This doesn't have to be an all-at-once conversation. Estate planning is a process, and it starts with asking a good question. 
finding no time to set aside without distractions and without interruptions to be able to. And I know you've talked about some of these things before, like in your values-based spending guide, you kind of use a version of life planning, which says, you know, imagine a life where X, this condition is there. And what would that be like? You know, and use those kind of open-ended questions and then stop and listen. Listen to what your spouse or significant other would say to those things. And if you need prompts to be able to do that, George Kinder, who kind of wrote some of the original stuff about life planning, has written some very, very helpful material that I use with my clients in my financial planning practice now. And remember that life is short and time with those you love is, is precious. His last question, or his two of his three questions rather, kind of along the lines of you visit a doctor and tells you you have five to 10 years to live. The good part of that is that you'll never feel sick, but the bad news is that you'll have no notice of whatever the moment of death would be in that time frame. So in the meantime, what would you do in the time remaining? What would you change? How would you change your work, your family time, but also kind of in a realistic, what your actual situation is? And then the last question is, imagine that you receive the shocking news that you only have 24 hours, one day left to live. Concentrate on the feelings that that invokes. And then ask yourself questions along the lines of regret looking back at the past. So the five to 10 year question before was looking ahead. What would you do with the time remaining? Whereas if you think about you, if you only have one day, what would you want to change? What do you wish you had done? What would you have missed? What dreams would be left unfilled? You know, take some time maybe to think about these for yourself before you go in and have these conversations together and use those kind of like a starting point. I love that. So let's say I have that conversation and now we're all ready to get our paperwork. Is there any resources you would recommend somebody to start looking for an estate planner or any websites they can read up a little bit more about the types of things that they might need? You mean as far as looking for an estate planning attorney or something like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So estate planning is specific to the state of residency. So which one you're claiming as your legal domicile. So looking for an attorney who's going to have specialty in that would be the first place to start. So I don't have any specific resources, but you can use local services search to find somebody to get connected with. A lot of people you can talk to is typically have referrals from your financial planner or your estate planning, I mean, your CPA or something along those lines. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, Daniel, last question, and you know we always ask this, is how are you living beyond the dollar? Well, I guess I would say the thing that we've kind of hit on over this theme is using money as a way that that goes beyond kind of spending, but talk about it in forms of values as it relates to what's important to you and your spouse. You don't have to live with regret. I look back on the time that Sarah and I shared, and it's filled with many beautiful and wonderful, happy memories. It is not a time that I look back on with regret in any way, shape, or form in the way that we use money. And now that Anne and I have this future together, this next chapter, applying those same lessons now to live intentionally, to live with value, and and for the two of us, especially based on our beliefs, to live with eternity in mind. Beautiful. And Daniel, where can people find you online? So I'm a fee-only fiduciary financial planner, and one of my specialties is helping people who have experienced that crushing, grievous loss of a spouse over at Wise Stewardship Financial Planning. And the website is wisestewardshipfp.com. Awesome. And I'll make sure to link to all your other other social media in the um, show notes. So Daniel, again, so grateful that you came on to be on the dollar to um, share your story. 
Thank you so much for letting me share it, Sarah. I hope it moves people to kind of take these steps and demonstrate that their love to their spouse or their significant other through estate planning. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the end. I don't know if you can tell, but both Daniel and I got a little bit emotional. We started digging more into his story and, and getting more into the episode. So thank you again for sticking to the end. Now, I don't have a specific question per se, but I do want to encourage you to think about your estate planning because no matter what stage of life you're in, I mean, especially even if you're single, someone is going to have to deal with your assets, which is stuff that you own or your debts. Yes, your relatives may have to pay back your debt even when you're gone. So like Daniel said, it's essentially an act of love to get your affairs in order. Now, I know I'm young by many people's standards, but I got my estate planning done uh, with my husband because I just don't want to leave a mess of a financial situation behind for my son or even my husband You know, if I were to die prematurely or go. So Daniel has kindly put together a list of resources in a PDF and other things that you can consider as you're figuring out estate planning. So I highly encourage you to check it out if you have any questions or you're already ready to get your estate planning in order. Now, again, this PDF is just a guide. It's not intended as financial advice. If you are ready for estate planning services, definitely seek out the help of a professional just to see what you need to put together. I can't really recommend specific products because they do change. I'm not a lawyer. And all of the rules and regulations differ state by state. So maybe it's best to start in your local county and and go from there. Again, if you're interested in that PDF that Daniel has put together, there is a link in the show notes at beyondthedollar.co backslash 38. Let me know your thoughts on this episode. What did you think? Hopefully this has encouraged you to think a little bit more about your situation, but definitely hit me up. I'm always, well, not always, mostly hanging out on Instagram at beyondthedollar, or you can email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. Thanks again, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at beyondthedollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durance for providing this awesome song.